the global co-working and conference community, we've had our fingers on the pulse of co-working since 2012, and we've connected thousands of operators, both in person and online. On the Juicy Podcast, we talk with the people making it happen day in and day out. Let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm super excited to have James O'Reilly, the president of Lifetime Work with us. James, how are you? Not your job, not your work. How are you doing right now? I am good, Liz. I'm happy to be here with you on a sort of a dreary Monday morning. I'm in Brooklyn, New York. I I, I mentioned to you before, I've got a seven-month-old daughter that's keeping us Amazing. early and busy. And we, we just had a wonderful <laughs> weekend with her. Uh, lots of time spent outside, lots of physical activity, which is good. Uh, time with friends and just really getting to a fun stage with her. I bet. So how do you work with a seven month old? How does that what does that look like? I, I work at home mostly. I travel mm. a lot given Lifetime is based in Minnesota. And uh, my wife is a lawyer. So she's mm. the brains of the operation. Um, <laughs> and we, we we also have the support of an incredible nanny who comes in sort of nine to five to help us out during uh, work hours. Now, why are you primarily working at home when there is a Lifetime right there in Brooklyn? Well, at the lifetime, unfortunately, is not open yet. Don't our, our club, uh, our health club in Dumbo opens this week, actually. Thank okay. you for the prompt. And I'm in uh, Borham Hill, which is kind of the other side of downtown Brooklyn. So okay. uh, we do have a co-working location coming here late next year in Brooklyn Tower, which is very close to me and where I will happily work out of very soon. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. So how is Lifetime doing post-pandemic? Like how, actually, let me backtrack. How was Lifetime during the pandemic? Because, I mean, I went to the gym the whole time that I could. And then how is it now? How's it coming back? Sure. Interesting lifetime before the pandemic, we were just trucking, I guess, 130, 40 locations. And we were on on average opening 10 to 12 locations a year. And and lifetime for, for those who might not be familiar with it is a sort of big box premium health club. Right. Mm So within the four walls of our clubs and our clubs are typically kind of 120 to 150,000 square feet, indoor, outdoor pools, tennis, pickleball, basketball, kids club, swimming programs, cafe, the largest spa in America is inside our four walls. So Mm -hmm. it's a large kind of complex. Many of them we developed from the ground up. And given the geographic spread of our locations, pandemic was an operation of almost like a a presidential campaign. We're opening, we're closing, and yeah. and, it was so, and and all of the sort of regional nuances uh, around sort of local uh, municipalities, even not even states, like getting down into. So it was sort of a, a large communications effort, almost like a military operation in okay. terms of managing the protocols. Also, it was fascinating to see seasonally how COVID affected the populace, right? So, you know, the Southern states with more outdoor activities and stuff, we, we had more flexibility in the Northeast. We had a lot less flexibility. And um, so that was interesting and, and challenging in and of its own right. I'm sure you're going to ask about lifetime work, but as a smaller subsidiary within a larger entity, we were part of the ongoing efforts around opening and closing. And we had access to best practices for the health club environment. So whether it's filtration, whether yeah. it's that's great. Enhanced cleaning protocols, whether it's, you know, furloughing, you know, all of the protocols around managing the opening and closing and the communications around that. So it was, you know, an experience to say the least. And 
you know, in, in times of real challenge, some people say it sort of, it builds character. Other people will say it sort of reveals. And mm. I was very pleased with how Lifetime performed and treated both members and, and team members through mm. that part of, of the, the pandemic, particularly the first sort of 18 months or so, uh, where it was really, uh, you're on again, you're off again. And um, that can cr- create a lot of institutional sort of burnout, right? Like people can mm-hmm. be exhausted through that time. And I think generally people were. So Lifetime was quite sensitive to that. And I was impressed that a large company can still manage to execute something like that with care. Did I see that Lifetime went public? We went public in October. Yeah, October last year. So almost a year. So and that in itself was a huge effort, right? So the the public markets in January of last year were were really good. And that's when we started sort of gearing up. We'd just taken in some debt to the obviously the parent organization Mm -hmm. and the outlook was very bullish. And as we moved through the year, the outlook changed towards the end of the year. There was just no getting public. And so we got out right before that Mm. in October. And I think it served us really well. We, you know, the public markets has been brutal over the last six months to a year or so, given inflation and other uh, levers that the Fed is pulling. But I think Lifetime as a public entity is from, you know, inside, inside the beast, I feel good about it. And these, you know, short term snaps around inflation and other challenges that we're still coming out of from a health club perspective. Mm Uh, with the pandemic, um, I still really feel really good about the next sort of five years of Lifetime and all, all the fun things we can do with Lifetime work now that we're public. Yeah, I bet. I bet. I bet that it opens a lot of doors. So one of the things I was um, doing some research on you guys and looking at your locations, it looks like you have 10 open, five on the way. And it's a little bit interesting. I've always actually found Lifetime pretty interesting where you mm. guys choose to put your real mm. estate. Clearly it works, right? You guys are thriving. And um, like, I actually haven't been to your club in Buckhead, but I heard it's amazing. And so you've got like diamond, platinum and platinum and a bunch of different stones. Yeah. Things. yeah. And I'm just curious, like what your real estate strategy is with Lifetime, because it looks like you've got some urban core, some suburban. Are you looking at doing both urban and suburban post pandemic, which is doing better for you guys? And sure. kind of like where you're thinking? Yeah. So generally, so Lifetime started in Minnesota and um, historically has grown in suburban areas. Just that was the first sort of 15, 20 years. We're now 30 years old as a, as a company. And as we've expanded, um, increasingly opportunities in the last sort of five to 10 years are in urban settings. Mm. Uh, and they generally tend to be in mixed use, large scale developments um, where Lifetime is seen as a key amenity in, sure. in this amenity arms race that large mixed use developments have. So I would say suburban areas are still where we would do ground up type Mm. development. So Lifetime has an integrated construction development firm as part of it. And so we can identify areas that we know demographically are growing massively over the next, you know, five to 10 years and make large scale investments, understanding who our membership is. Now we have, you know, um, maybe 1.8, 1.9 million members. And we, we just have a lot of historical data that we can put to use in selecting locations. Mm-hmm. Um, but for lifetime work, as I joined Lifetime, you know, I had spent the prior kind of seven, eight years between New York and LA, really understanding the urban context of co-working. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of my apprehensions as I arrived at Lifetime was sort of, are right, we got to open Lifetime work in you know downtown urban centers? That's where all the young people are, etc. And as I landed at Lifetime, I sort of opened my mind a little bit and 
quickly realized that America, this is pre-pandemic, was growing faster in certain suburban areas than in urban areas. And the key driver in that shift from urban growth to suburban growth is delayed family formation among among older millennials, right? So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, my parents' generation were having kids in their early 20s or so. And my generation, I'm I'm now uh, 39. I just had uh, my daughter seven months ago, eight months ago. And uh, that's, you know, very common, right? And so because of that, um, that older set of millennials remained in urban centers longer. And so, you know, you, you still had the same people arriving, but they weren't leaving in the same as soon to go to suburbs. Now with delayed family formation, people leaving later, they're looking for bigger homes and better schools and so are moving to suburbs. And the suburbs that are growing fastest are those with urban-like amenities, which obviously includes a great health club, a great co-working space, et cetera, you know, has walkable dynamics. And so as I joined Lifetime, I actually de- developed a distinct approach that we wanted to be suburban. And so that's where all of our first kind of five or six locations were. And as we started growing, probably three years in, four years in, we said, you know, there are some urban opportunities where we could do a hub and spoke type model where we have three or four suburban locations and one urban type destination. And so that's how we've grown lifetime work. And that's how we continue to see the opportunity. And in fact, the pandemic demonstrated that those suburban locations just by look with Mm -hmm. um, the amount of you know, increased demographics as a result of people leaving cities through the pandemic performed really well. And so, you know, today we're significantly better at all locate all suburban locations than we were before the pandemic. And we so only had four locations open before the pandemic, and now we have you know ten wow. uh, locations with eleven eleven. Amazing. At, so, uh, do you places. guys always go with new construction, or do you ever go back and retrofit an old location to include lifetime work? So uh, we can do both. When we go back and retrofit a health club, it tends to be a smaller space. So we we can do two and a half thousand square feet inside of an existing health club location. That works really well. Hmm. Um, but what we like to do is 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 you know lease office space that's within close proximity to an existing health club. Or if at all possible, we'll build ground up. So in Bookhead, as an example, uh, we're going into the the um, Simon Mall there. That's a ground up development as part of the mall with the Lifetime Athletic Club. The uh, we you know we have an outdoor pool deck on the roof. We've got three floors of you know, really beautiful health club, but then we have lifetime work on the second floor, high ceilings, 25,000 square feet connected to the mall. We have our own entrance and that kind of connectivity is something that our members really love. So if at all possible, we will be integrated with the health club, Mm -hmm. but um, our locations, for example, in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, um, that's a probably a three minute drive time to one of our largest health clubs. Mm -hmm. And that works really great for our members as well. Interesting. I love that. And um, by the way, there's one around the corner from me in Austin that I would like you to add one to, just so you know. Great. Good to yeah. know. It's a great market for us. <laughs> so I think I'm not sure everyone knows that when you were in real estate a while back, mm-hmm. you did some work with the Ace Hotel expansion. And I was super curious. I actually stayed at the Ace Hotel a couple of months ago and saw, you know, the the lobby co-working experience mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I was just wondering how that did that influence you? at Nowy House? And does that influence you today at Lifetime? Sure. So I came to America from Ireland uh, 15 years ago now. 
Mm-hmm. And the first project I worked on was Ace in New York. And so I spent a lot of time on that before it opened. The real estate company that I joined as I landed in New York owned equity in the Ace Hotel brand. And so I got to understand the philosophy around the lobbies, around programming content. So, you know, bringing in musicians and and, mm-hmm. and different creative, different folks from the creative community into the lobby. So the lobby isn't just for hotel guests. And I think that's what makes it a really dynamic experience that you have a lot of locals infused with people who are tourists and and there for work. I think what was also interesting about ACE is it's sort of partnership centric approach to, you know, whether it's retail or coffee or hospitality. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also the concept with ACE is it's the highest and lowest card in the deck. And ACE has this utilitarian approach where, you know, it's got a corner suite with herringbone wood floors for $1,500 a night, but it's also got the bunk beds for a hundred bucks a night. And, and that sort of high, low access is something that I always found intriguing. But uh, as it uh, came to influencing Noya House, what we, what we saw was re- we felt retail was important to put mm-hmm. a flag in the ground, to control the experience from somebody's steps from the pavement into your space. And the the retail experience at Neue House is very impactful. High ceilings, it feels like a sort of mixture between a hotel lobby like Ace and a productive public library. And, and that energy, I think, is important as you, you come in. It's a very distinctive feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, we try and capture that at all of our lifetime workspaces. So you always arrive into a very gracious, uh, you know, lobby workspace type environment, and you mm-hmm. immediately feel that something's different. Mm-hmm. What we did at Neuhaus that, that we also borrowed from Mace is around programming content. So with Neuhaus, we felt the opportunity was to reposition co-working to a, a more premium audience, right? And this is 2011, 2012. And n- not a lot of sort of people who had the means um, were interested in, in in sort of co-working. They would much rather take a long-term lease and spend money on furniture and create this beautiful, elevated private office experience. And what we felt like we could do is introduce this new group of, you know, discerning consumers to co-working. And one of our segues into that was through cultural content. So, you know, really elevated cultural programming, whether it's partnerships with Freeze Art Fair, mm-hmm. inviting, you know, major artists, performers, um, local cultural institutions, whether it's the MoMA or Creative Time, to come mm-hmm. in and, and, and promote their content in our spaces. And by doing so, they introduce their audience to our audience, and we get some brand affinity through that. And that helped establish um, what became Neuhaus and what it is today. So we do a lot of that with our programming content at Lifetime Work. But with Lifetime Work, it's not as much cultural programming, although I do feel like health and wellness is now cultural currency. We bring in the institutional knowledge that we have from our 30 years operating, you know, premium health clubs into our workspaces. So whether that's, you know, great yoga classes in the morning, whether it's uh, midday massages, whether it's a nutritionist coming in to talk about, you know, how to balance your diet or or uh, movement coaches or even accountability programs. So what we found is we can infuse our workspaces with all this great knowledge and education, really, from our years operating health clubs. And it's, you know, health and wellness is at a core of what lifetime work is. And I think programming and events is a great way to communicate that. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, 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 have you heard? Juicy is heading to Chicago. Yep. 
April 2023. We are going to be in the beautiful city of Chicago. You should get your tickets now on gcuc.co or the other thing you can do is join membership and then you'll get a discount on those juicy tickets and ridiculous benefits for you and your team. So remember, go to juicy.co for your tickets to Chicago and to join membership. Ciao. And I think the question everybody has that probably nobody wants to ask, mm-hmm. but I will, mm-hmm. yeah. is you were one of the co-founders of Now We House. So mm-hmm. why did you leave? I mean, a president gig's pretty good, but I'm just sure. I'm just interested if you don't mind. No, 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 100%. So when we started Now We House in 2011, the landscape for co-working was very different. I think WeWork might have started a year before us. Correct. And what, you know, our intention was to do something elevated and to create, to introduce a new audience to co-working. I think the scale of of that opportunity is obviously very different than WeWork, which is really democratizing access to flexible workspace, Mm -hmm. given the scale that they've gone after. So we raised a lot of money from venture and high net worth individuals, and it was built on a similar model around sort of growth, growth, growth. And so we expanded pretty aggressively into LA, took on a construction project, which had very different dynamics to the one that we did in New York. We overspent in LA. And that put us in a compromised situation as we went out to get more capital. And we brought in new capital. And I had an opportunity either to stay on for another five years and kind of re-earn, quote unquote, um, some of the equity that I had already earned. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the moment from my perspective to remain another five years was to do something different. Yeah. And, you know, through Neuhaus, I met just some incredible partners, both oh, I bet. You know, financial partners, creative partners. And I, I I have an MBA in my background, but it's a fraction of what I learned through mm. the kind of five, six years of Neuhaus. And I'm still very close with all the folks there. I was just there a couple of times over the last couple of weeks. And it, it's still a really inspiring place. And I'm really proud of, of you know, the part that I played there and the legacy. Oh my gosh, you should be. It's amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, as I uh, was assessing, you know, whether I stay on another, call it five years at Neuhaus or do something different, I was introduced to Baram, who's the CEO of Lifetime and, and, and a couple of other people, similar conversations. Mm-hmm. And Baram is interesting because he started this company himself and uh, an immigrant to America, similar to me, Love very that. creative guy, hyper analytical, but really emotionally attuned and very design oriented. And what I found compelling about going to work with somebody like that is he is an entrepreneur. He's driving a huge ship. Right. And we we kind of say internally, it, Lifetime's kind of like the Titanic that Bram drives like a speedboat. And <laughs> that to me felt like I could really work with someone like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm very entrepreneurial myself and Baram gives uh, me and us, my team, a lot of autonomy around how we run the business. And I think what immediately became clear to me is culturally, um, I could sync up really well at Lifetime. Um, the Minnesota vibe is very similar to the Irish vibe. <laughs> I, I don't know how much time you spent there, but, you know, M- Minnesota nice is a thing and and it feels, uh, you know, I immediately felt welcome and empowered and excited to leverage, you know, one of the biggest challenges we had at, at Neuhaus is just the infrastructure required to build nationally, right? That's, it's hyper, it's construction is such a hyper-localized industry yep. and the complexities are immense. And what I was excited uh, to do at Lifetime is grow at scale and uh, Lifetime has this incredible infrastructure that they've refined over, you know, 30 years. Like mm-hmm. 
design, architecture, permitting, people, and I'm sure we're going to talk about um, yes. staffing today and, and team members, but you know, we've got 35,000 uh, team members nationally and just having access to that kind of talent pool is incredible and a talent pool that's highly certified that's already you know acclimatized to the the culture and and the processes and so I was excited to go and build something on top of that and I felt like you know if I'm to remain in co-working at that point junction in my life I felt like either you raise a whole bunch of money to compete with people and I I I've, I've done that before and that's not a whole lot of fun it's not uh, it's, it's awful right or or um something like lifetime where you could really leverage an infrastructure and, and and so you know that's what I what I took on and I've really had a blast it's been a lot of fun and um uh, the team they're hugely supportive and and like I say we have a lot of autonomy and um developed a lot of trust over that time that's awesome. That's awesome. That sounds like a really great guy to work for. He is. He um, is. So yeah, we talked a little bit about, you know, um, that you guys have so many employees and that is just a hard thing for everybody right now. Mm-hmm. Little known fact, Stormy McBride, who's worked for me for a really long time, came from Lifetime. Oh, wow. And I actually really liked that about her when I interviewed her because she had, you know, dealt with a bunch of kids and really co-working as adult daycare. So I thought that was <laughs> a really good plus point. And um, so I'm curious, like, what is y'all's secret sauce on finding people? So if, uh, I can I can really speak in detail about lifetime work and not as much lifetime just because that's a whole other. No, apparatus. no, I want to hear about um, lifetime work. Yeah. So we recruit primarily internally. So Ooh. of our 11 managers today, I would say we have two externals. See, that um, is a great thing that you have that pool to pull from. Amazing. It's a huge benefit. And you just get a lot of um, uh, context uh, for somebody's, you know, personality, for their background, mm-hmm. you know, their competence and role. Um, how they treat people, how they welcome ex- people. Exactly. And Lifetime is a kind of a performance culture, right? So, you know, it, it is, and, and particularly our clubs, which are high volume, right? They're large spaces, but... No, a location can have 8,000, 10,000 members, right? Yeah. Okay. So real quick, just for people who mm-hmm. don't know, or you haven't looked at that's just lifetime, what is the average size of a gym? About 100, 120,000 square feet. Now that and- that's in, in a suburban context, it can be 150, 180,000 yeah. square feet in an urban context. We we now have some locations as small as thirty thousand square mm. feet, but our last two locations opening in in New York City, so uh, one Wall Street Manhattan is seventy two thousand square feet, which is a huge location for and, Manhattan. Yeah, for sure. And what is the average size of a lifetime work? About thirty okay. four to five thousand square yeah. feet. Can, yeah, it's so um, interesting because when I first started in co working in two thousand ten, it was like three thousand. Then it went to five. Then it went to ten. Then it went to twenty. And now it's like thirty to 50. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and look, I think we, we have a couple of locations that are in the 20,000 square feet. They work really great for us as well. And I like the intimacy of smaller locations. You know, I, I find our managers can engage more personally with, with our, our members and, and it creates sort of, you know, a, a tighter knit community um, sometimes as you scale up to 30,000 square feet or, or more you can be a little bit more ambitious with the types of events that you're doing and and it just allow you allows you to pull different levers it's really hard to know everybody's name when you're in 150,000 square feet almost almost impossible <laughs> um but you know 
one of the things that uh, as we're recruiting internally is around developing the nuance that how lifetime work is different, right? And we have lots of ways in, in terms of how it's the same as our clubs. But, you know, our clubs, as I mentioned, they see this volume of people and it's a very warm and hospitable and, and Minnesotan type uh, service hospitality experience, which is beautiful, but it's delivered at scale. When somebody comes into lifetime work to, to lead one of our locations, the, the nuance is you're going down to, you know, 300 people that you're seeing, you know, four times, five times a week for eight hours at a time kind of thing, rather than in a club where you see maybe one person twice a week for an hour and a half and they're, you know, on the workout floor for most of it, right? So we really have to identify people who are passionate about service, who yeah. really care. And, and that's like an intrinsic motivation for them, that they're excited to see people. And that is something that, you know, you select the right leader for a location and that that starts to generate its own energy. And, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things I really liked when I met Baran for the first time, and he speaks, he's a, you know, fast thinker, fast talker. But one of the things he said is, you know, I, when I started this business, I wanted it to feel good when you got to the gym and to the club. Mm -hmm. um, so often gyms, like the old version of a gym is in a basement and it's kind of dank and, and dark and dreary. And you don't really want to be there any longer than you have to be. And his approach of asking, as we're in the design process, how does it feel to be in this space? We design all of our lifetime workspaces with that same approach. It mm -hmm. needs to feel great. And it starts with design and how we program the space. But ultimately, it's the people that we hire 100%. that deliver that experience, like that create the feeling and the connection that people feel. They don't feel a connection necessarily to the, mm -hmm. the layout of the space. And we put a lot of energy into that. They feel a connection to our people. And yeah. so we really spend time on identifying the right people. And when we do that, we really don't have to worry about a whole lot else. Well, it's funny because I was just going to ask you, like, so you've got the gym attachment. Like, what is your other secret sauce? And you just told us what it is. Yeah. It's, now, it, it, I do have it, one challenge for you, my friend. Yeah. So I see that you have all the physical, right? We've got yoga. We've got weights. We've got all this stuff. And I used to be a member of Lifetime, and I absolutely loved it. Um, it's a great gym, great programming. But, you know, physical health, everybody knows you need to do physical health. We've known that forever. We got it. What are you doing to address mental health? M mental health is more than just sort of your emotional well-being. Okay. And and so maybe I'll talk about health generally, how we think about okay. health and wellness in our workplaces. Yeah. And, and when we do this, we try not to rest on what we know is this like, you know, big bazooka of a world-class health health club right next door right we, mm -hmm. we we try and run our business as if that's not there because if we rely solely on that we will do nothing else because that's that. probably enough for most people yeah so we we discount that but we know it's like this bazooka sitting over there that we try not to look at and we're really happy about so first of all mental health we believe is intrinsic to physical health right when somebody is active when they're yep. moving around when yep. they're either in nature when they're connecting with people, community-oriented, when they feel a sense of belonging, when they feel welcome, when they feel seen. Yes. Like those are all cultural touch points that we cover on in their basics, right? Yeah. So every time somebody walks in the door, they get eye contact, they get a welcome, their name call out, right? So their table stakes. And But let from, from when we design a space, 
we think about it programmatically around activity-based working. How can we create environments that support people moving throughout the day, not even support, but promote? And so they're changing postures constantly. We have a range of sonically diverse spaces, right? So totally quiet spaces, mm. conference room, semi-public, semi-private spaces. We've got quiet zones, right? Mm -hmm. No phone calls, just heads down type of work in open plan environment. And so people can move throughout our space and are actively encouraged we have sort of perches where you're standing, looking out a window. Everybody has access to uh, natural light, Love outdoor that. space when and if possible. So if we don't have outdoor space in our location, we're connected to a club with lots of outdoor space. And so encouraging people to move battles that sedentary lifestyle that is such an issue. And I find even just working at home, I have to be more conscious to get up out of my chair and move mm -hmm. a lot. And and some people think better when they're moving, right? Yeah. And so, and yeah, sorry. Yeah, well, you just mentioned so many great things. I just had to butt in for a second. First, sonically diverse. I've never heard that before. I'm completely stealing that. I love that. Yeah, and do. it is very important. I feel like you've covered so many bases from like, it's so simple on the connection. And, you know, I when I, I used to run my own co-working space mm -hmm. and I ran it and I had three locations and I sold it. And we made sure that whenever we had a, a little bell on the doors so that, you know, if you heard that you were up and walking towards the door because you had to go greet somebody and you mm -hmm. had to look them in the mm -hmm. eye. And so few people get that. It's yeah. amazing. It is. I drop into co-working spaces all over the world all the time. And I would say 85% of the time I'm not greeted. Yeah. Which is sad because I think one of the fundamentals of co-working is connection, right? Is yep. that sense? Because otherwise, we sure, we can all work from home or mm -hmm. we can work in a small private office if you don't want to be mixing with other people. Mm -hmm. But I feel like as humans, we have just the fundamental need to be around other people. And that doesn't yeah. mean you have to talk to everyone. You, you don't even have to collaborate with people. Mm -hmm. Sometimes physically being around other people helps. Absolutely. And especially post pandemic, when we were all just disconnected, yeah. lost a lot of connection, lost a lot of time, it is more important than ever that you acknowledge other human beings and that and that we pay attention to those little things. You don't know if that person hasn't even, you know, seen another human the whole day. It could mean everything to that person. And we're still at even worse than before the pandemic, even worse mental health. Of course, yeah. we are. it makes complete sense. Uh, yeah. And look, I think I think to your point, it can be hugely nourishing um, that that sense of belonging, the sense of these people care for me. We talk at Lifetime a lot about caring and and it's a balance between being very strong performance culture, but also really caring for our team members. When we care for our team members, they care for our members. And that sort of service profit chain is something we talk about a lot at Lifetime Work. So absolutely. And like, it's interesting, too, because I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, they're so busy giving all this amenity and service and love and care to their members. You have to do that for your staff as well. Yeah. And if you don't, they're leaving. Yeah. So much of our much of my week, our week is spent with our managers and we're, we're conscious not to take them away from our members too much. But when they're feeling really engaged and heard and empowered and developing and pushed, like pushed to develop, pushed to think differently about their business, pushed to 
more extreme ownership of their business. That's when they look after their team members and their team members are engaged and then our members are engaged. And yeah. so we feel like that's a very virtuous cycle that that it it starts with us. And so, you know, when we think about mental health, we, we do uh, events around sort of engaging in those kinds of conversations and whether it's mindfulness Mondays or even just purely our quiet rooms, right? We have phone booths and then yeah. we have quiet rooms and that's, we're not looking to hit you over the head with the mindfulness stick, um, but we are very passionate about that and we want to encourage that and we bring our institutional knowledge at lo- from Lifetime Corporate into our workspaces to develop this sort of mindfulness programming uh, for our members. Yeah, um, I love that. And, and accountability is a big thing. So obviously we've developed in our health clubs accountability programs, whether it's 60 day or whatever the program might be. We found that our lifetime work members can really engage in those because they tend to have a, a stronger affinity to one another just because they're around each other more than like a traditional club member might be around another random club member. And so those accountability programs tend to get people much more engaged and up the curve faster in terms of Mm -hmm. uh, physical activity. Well, it's Um, just like when you give somebody a personal trainer at the club for free, right? Because then you get hooked because then you've got accountability and you've got somebody helping you. And, you know, I think the thing is, is like if people are going there, it's the workspace they choose. Mm-hmm. It's not the workspace they were told to go to. It's the workspace they choose. Right. And if they're going there, then they're getting something amazing out of it. Okay. So we're already over time. So I'm going to like ask one big zinger question at the end, because I would talk to you for five hours, but I doubt uh-huh. my listeners would be into that, but I would be. Um, <laughs> okay. Real quick. Um, so I have always said, it's funny. I always point out lifetime. It's this like under the radar, you know? And I think when you talk to the real deal, you kind of talked about that too. I think it's interesting. And I mm-hmm. love when a brand does that because mm-hmm. I think that they're, you know, doing something stealth and fun, which you guys clearly are. And so, you know, as people are moving out of offices and going to co-working spaces or flexible workspace because that's where they choose to go because that's where they feel welcome and they feel connection and they feel good. I'm super interested to hear like what Lifetime's kind of plans are and what you're excited about for the future. Sure. So one of the big shifts from Neuhaus to Lifetime has been a more measured and prudent approach to growth, right? So it's it's not growth at all costs. And it's, it's you know, launching, testing, pivoting a little bit, launching a new one, testing something new, the idea of nuance over novelty, right? And going deep into the business and what the experience is and how we can tweak things and continue to expand the correct model. And so as we go forward, you know, next year looks like five to six locations, four of which are locked in. The following year should get to about 10 locations, 10 or 12 locations. And we're just excited because we feel like we're strongly differentiated from a, you know, co-working to co-working perspective. When you add in the club, it's this immense differentiator, right? So if it's not clear to to the audience here, but when you you buy a lifetime work membership, you either can get a club membership included, or um, you can access a club membership at a greatly incentivized price. And that could be 50% of the retail price for a club membership. So we're, we're trying to incentivize a bundling of our, our, our club and our, our co-working space. But so we think we're really well differentiated. What we're looking to continue to do is to develop these suburban locations, because we feel like 
the suburbs are dramatically underserved for contemporary co-working at a certain scale. And then when you access our existing club member base of, you know, 1.8 million people, there's just a lot of opportunity right in front of us there. And we continue to see cooling in the dense urban markets of New York and Chicago and San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And and we believe towards the end of next year, we'll start to see more urban opportunities um, where we can combine or be in close proximity to our health clubs. Um, So as an entrepreneur, I can get really easily distracted by the new, new thing. Mm -hmm. Um, What I try and practice is this nuance over novelty and get, you know, refinement, refinement and, and sort of, you know, continue to tweak and evolve what we're doing today. And Lifetime gives me an opportunity to see it at at, at some scale, right? So we're yeah. 11 locations within the next two weeks. By the end of next year, we're 16 locations. And again, it's prudent growth. And we feel like the opportunities as we get into the back end of next year, the economy starts to stabilize a bit more, will be dramatically more numerous for us to grow. Yeah, I am um, at the very first juicy that we put on in 2012. I got up on stage and I showed the bell curve and I showed that we were completely flatlined on the left and said, you can't build them fast enough for the demand coming your way. And I get up on stage every year and I say that every year. I, no, I did not say that during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, we're, yeah. And, and what it is now, what we're seeing is, you know, large corporate is embracing it. And mm-hmm. it's really interesting to see that our conversations pre-pandemic were with, you know, the, the corporate real estate group. And now it's with HR yeah. and benefits, yep. you know, and, and it's not, it's that we meet the talent first, usually. And then the talent says, I need to get this signed off at HR. Yep. Right? And, and so I think those worlds are starting to come together. It's mm-hmm. it's more around how do I attract and retain the best talent? And the terms of the best talent are such that they need more flexibility. Um, mm-hmm. They want engaging environments. It doesn't have to be this hermetically sealed mm-hmm. box of the hor- corporate campus. I, you know, it's it's actually beneficial for the corporate entity mm-hmm. to be infused with other ideas from entrepreneurs that are surrounding their corporate team members in sort of di- geographically diverse locations. Yeah. Well, I am nothing but bullish on you guys. I think it's awesome. I love that you're talking about connection and that you get how important the people are. And I think you guys are going to be just a huge national player that everybody's going to be talking about. Well, thanks so much, uh, Liz. That's very generous of you. And we're super excited. And uh, we think that there is lots of opportunity ahead. And we're just uh, taking our time movement towards it as we get into uh, next year. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. And guys, stay tuned. We've got more. Thanks so much, Liz. Take care, y'all. And we'll see you on the next Juicy Podcast.